Let's talk about Dread Halls. Uh, yeah, so, well, first off, a little context. Dread Halls is a, you know, scary virtual reality game. It's one of the first VR games I played um, for, for the Oculus DK2. Um, and it's really good at kind of generating a very emotional and, you know, physical, physiological response because it's so scary. Um, and so we decided that we kind of wanted to be able to measure that in, in some capacity. And so we uh, put together a really quick hardware um, device for measuring heart rate and you know all the signals and essentially just a small EKG and a little bit of software that goes with it. So when somebody plays it, we could see, okay, they just saw a, a ghoul or, or a, a, a spirit or something like that. Um, or they're just walking down the hallway and how does that baseline of uh, heart rate change based on what they're doing in the game. So why is that, I guess, important to track physiological responses uh, in VR? What are the implications there, I guess? Yeah, I mean, uh, virtual reality is all about kind of fooling your body, mm -hmm. right? And so having a better understanding of the way that your body reacts to the virtual world is going to help you get fooled a lot easier. Um, besides heart rate, there are a lot of other various technologies that other people are working on that are for the same purpose, mm -hmm. you know, um, to make your experience, you know, the more fools you, the more that you're immersed, um, the better the experience is. Um, so you've got things like the Fove, which is a headset that they made, you know, a company called Fove made, which uses what's called foveated rendering. So it tracks your eyes. Um, it and because it's tracking your eyes, it has the ability to see um, where are the particular parts in which it needs to spend all of the processing power and the GPU power rendering in high quality oh, wow. and what's in your peripheral vision you don't really care about, right? Mm -hmm. So taking that sort of feedback of knowing what your body is doing, what, you, what you're thinking kind of, is able to increase the quality of the experience uh, so specifically with the technology that we have today. Right, I, I didn't even think about uh, efficiency being a, a factor uh, with the physiological stuff. I figured it was mostly for content creation and, you know, which it is, but um, the technology efficiency is really important there as well. Yeah, there have been some, uh, in, with heart rate in particular, virtual reality is not the only application for a lot of it. Like, one of the first um, things I did with heart rate was, uh, um, it was like a Cabela's game where they had a gun controller and it detected your pulse while you played and if you, uh, um, your heart rate went kind of too far out of a, a range, it would cause your crosshair to go completely uh, wonky, and your breathing rate, other things like that. So those can, you know, make sure that you're calm, make sure that you're um, being steady. Those can have an effect on the gameplay as well, whether it's virtual reality or not. I read a paper that was a um, sort of a research thing. I think it was some some school in Texas. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a research on like guiding Zen meditation in VR, um, where they were measuring, I believe, uh, probably, I think, six different channels of, of information. It might have been less, but definitely heart rate and respiration were part of that. And um, using that to, like, ensure that the meditator is, like, calm, and if they're not, like, using visual cues to, like, guide them through their meditation uh, process, which in is kind of cool. In VR, yeah. Yeah, having it, having uh, that biomedical stuff also drive the content is something that you know is pretty interesting. Like that sort of application, I've seen people try to do the same sort of thing with um, Left 4 Dead. So 
Left 4 Dead, uh, made by Valve, has a really cool, um, you know, kind of artificial intelligence about it a little bit in which it sees how difficult the game is and, and then it figures out how many zombies are there enemies to put against you at, a, at you know, a lulls period or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what if you added a particular piece of data in there that was, oh, now the players are starting to get calm. You know, they're, you can see their heartbeats are going down. They're thinking that everything's okay. Now would be the perfect time to strike them with, a, you know, a wave of enemies or something like that. So changing the content is another interesting uh, part of it as well. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see a game where the entire game revolves around you remaining calm and you pretty much, if, you, if your heart rate gets too high, you know, you get too scared, then you just die and that's the end of the game. Well, it's, it's funny. I've heard of applications where it's actually uh, the inverse of this where you read, um, say, like a baby's heart rate when they're trying to go to sleep and, you know, you see what's happening in their body and then you figure out sort of music or visual cues that can help them to calm down and some of that... Um, you know, plays into how the mother or the father's heart rate and their physiological cues so they can be in sync with each other, sort of like in utero. Um, not so much for the father, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, um, so that's really cool, but yeah, that's kind of the opposite. Yeah, I mean, some other um, interesting things that have more to do with kind of the lower level of, of tricking your brain in these virtual experiences with locomotion, right? So you've got something as simple as using a joystick to move around, that's neat, not really, doesn't really work that well. Then you go to an omnidirectional treadmill that allows you to stay in place and kind of walk around and tricks your body in a, in a way that you're, you think that you're actually walking through a space. But I mean, there, there are research institutions that have gone even a step above that where they have a fixed room and you think that you're walking in a straight line, but they found that they can stimulate your inner ear with vibrations. You essentially wear like a clip-on headphone sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And in the back of it, there's a little vibration motor, some sort of electrical you know, stimulations uh, um, pad that if they want you to turn left, they'll shock the left side and then you'll start listing that way. You don't even notice you're doing it because it's just your inner ear is so subconsciously important for your balance and your direction and other things like that, right. that um, if you, at the same time, the virtual world is giving you visual cues that you should be turning and, and while it's doing that and your inner ear is telling you that you should be turning, um, you're going to eventually turn around. So people think they're walking in a straight line for a mile and they've really been walking around this warehouse or this room. Um, it's pretty neat. Yeah, speaking of like things that go near your ear, when we were at the World's Fair Nano, I tried, I believe it was called Think. Um, I might be wrong on the name, but some sort of product that was supposed to like give you a different mental state. And they had like three different ones and they like put it like on your ear and on your forehead and then like right behind your ear. And I tried one out. It was supposed to like calm you down and make you like really chill. Uh, gave me a massive headache. But um, other people tried it, and like some of them were supposed to make you feel awake. Um, and people tried it, and they're like, "Yeah, it totally feels like I like just had a cup of coffee or whatever." Um, yeah, for me, it just gave me a headache. But well, the, the World's Fair had like three thousand people there, so I, I find it um, it would be pretty difficult to you know use something to start to calm you down. And there's like there's so much external uh, you know, stimulus. Yeah. Yeah. I was already just so calm that it went in reverse, probably. <laughs> it went into negative calm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like the, the general idea behind all media, virtual reality or video games or movies or books or whatever. It's supposed to, you know, kind of stimulate some sort of response. And I think with virtual reality, the um, interesting part about it and all this technology of biofeedback is that you can 
very specifically cater that response by affecting just all the senses that matters, right? Your hearing, your um, sense of movement, your um, you know, what, what you see, what you, what you touch exactly. You can very specifically um, target and create a very particular experience way more than any other media possibly could in the past. So uh, that's what I think is probably the most exciting part about uh, virtual reality as it you know, relates to how we integrate with it, with you know, our physical self. I've done it again. I have a tie-in to WoW. Um, there's this, in the Pandaria expansion of WoW, one of the big enemies were called the Shaw, and they were like creatures that fed on negative emotions. So you had like Shaw, like anger and rage and sorrow, um, hatred, stuff like that. Some kind of game where you, you like, your enemies are bolstered in strength or like become big giant monsters if you, it's actually hard to get that sort of emotional context like the fact that your heart rate is running fast or that you're sweating or that you're breathing quickly is easy to say, but it's hard to say, are you experiencing joy or anger or hatred? So like actually pinpointing emotions from that data is like really hard, but there are people working on it. So you can definitely get some sort of wow, Shaw style <laughs> VR game out of that. And um, that's my wow tie-in for today. <laughs> Uh, there, there have been some other very uh, interesting peripherals um, that are related to more specifically lower level in your body, not, not necessarily <laughs> ones that are legal, but um, somebody made, I think they crowdfunded it and it didn't, I don't, it got pulled from Kickstarter or something. It was a Xbox controller that every time that the, instead of a vibration motor on it, they replaced the vibration motor with a blood pump and an IV. Ooh. And so no, every time you. that you would ex- get hit or shot or whatever, oh. it would pump, you know. Some very small amount of blood from And you can body. share it with your friends, and they can uh, use it as well. Yeah, it, it got shut down uh, pretty quickly. That's interesting. Uh, uh, no, actually, I was thinking on the, on the subject of eye tracking, um, something that um, people are working on that's apart from just seeing where you're looking to render is actually track the size of your pupils because um, your pupils have a lot to do with your you know, physical state. Your pupils can dilate if you're like afraid or aroused or other things. Um, but then also all people different naturally have different sizes of normal dilations of people. So it's kind of hard to uh, figure out what that means. And it's even harder to track because you've got a pretty much in the dark there with your camera and there's not a lot of, it's hard to distinguish the people from the eye. Some people have really dark eyes and the, the sizes and everything are different. So it's a hard problem to solve, like a machine vision problem. And then a hard problem after you've gotten the people to derive what that means. But there's definitely some interesting applications there, if you can do it. Yeah, I, I backed a Kickstarter a few years ago, I guess like 2014 at this point, um, and because one of my favorite guitar players who got ALS and then ended up you know, losing pretty much all mobility except in his eyes, the, um, you know, they were crowdfunding a, a glasses product that could read your eye movements and translate that into words. Because um, essentially that's what they're, or what he was using now was uh, the system of um, eye geometry. That's like pretty much what Stephen Hawking used at some point, right? Now he uses like a cheek thing. Yes. Well, well he has mobility over his fingers though, right? Does he? I don't think so. I don't know. Anymore. I think he, he was using an eye thing and he now uses like a cheek twitching thing because he can mm-hmm. pretty much only move his cheeks. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's definitely a cool... I don't think they ever... I'm not sure if they ever actually launched the product, but I have to look into that. I backed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think that um, virtual reality is both, you know, the industry for hardware and other biofeedback stuff like that is taking a lot of cues from the historical research and other things that have been done in the medical field and the psychology, you know, uh, psychological field. Um, but also there's kind of an opportunity with having all of this new stuff that virtual reality is impacting those fields, not just taking away from them. Um, with a lot of the research that they're doing to see, you know, one of the interesting things that they found in hospitals is that um, virtual reality can be more than 40 times more effective than morphine opiates. That's um, so, you know, people are thinking about, oh, one day in the future maybe, um, because we're able to trick our brains into this, you know, sort of uh, state of being, maybe one day in the future people don't go under for surgery, they just put on a headset, you know, and go do something else while they're getting their leg worked on or whatever. Um, so there's it, it, not just a lot of uh, technology that virtual reality is taking from these industries is also kind of giving back, which I think is a, an important part about the interaction of virtual reality and the rest of the world.